Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's performance of My Favourite Flop. At this time, we ask that you turn up the volume on all cell phones, laptops, and car stereos as loud as possible. Also, as a reminder, please refrain from any photography of this performance, as it is prohibited by law, and this is a podcast, so it would be fruitless. Speaking of fruit, snacks are permitted and frankly encouraged during this performance. The louder the rapper, the better. We can't hear you. That's how podcasts work. Please be advised that this production could contain Broadway shows with overall financial losses, those with less than 250 performances, some that had no national tour after their initial Broadway engagement, and Broadway shows that never actually opened on Broadway. In the unlikely event of a podcast emergency, please take a moment to locate the exit nearest to you. If you are listening on the John, please make sure you flush. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the very first episode of My, My Favorite, Favorite Flop. I'm Bobby Traversa, self-admitted flopaholic, makeshift musical theater historian, and super qualified person to host this show. Uh, why, you may ask? Well, I spent the better part of a decade working as the assistant uh, to the chairman of the musical theater department at one of the United States' premier musical theater conservatories. Uh, I've worked as a professional actor sometimes. Um, I have worked for a Broadway producer. I was the assistant uh, to a gentleman who worked on a Broadway flop that we might talk about on this podcast one day. And I founded a little company called The Stage Network, Rest in Peace, uh, which was no longer with us, uh, the first streaming service for the theater that featured original content about the theater in addition to live plays and musicals. And I'm Christina Miller-Weston. I know it's a mouthful, but uh, you can call me Christina or Camille. I'm a musical theater actor, and I have been in my fair share of fabulous failures and musical misfits. Haven't I, Bobby? Yep. I was that kid who decided to go to a musical theater conservatory, even though I didn't really know much about musical theater except for the movie musical Golden Era. That was pretty much it. So when I got to school, I was that kid who was like, do you know who Sutton Foster is? And everyone looks at me like I have a third eye. So I wound up in the musical library a lot, which is where I met Bobby. Right. And I ran that library uh, at the school that she went to, in addition to assisting the head of the department there. And she basically came in pretty much every day, didn't you? Yes. And uh, she would be like, here's this cool person I discovered, Sutton Foster. And I would be like, oh, Christina, not only did Sutton Foster do this thing you're showing me, here's like 10 other things that Sutton Foster did that you totally need to go research. And she would. She would go off and do it. This has all led us to today with my favorite plop, this fabulous podcast. And we are so excited to geek out with you about Broadway history and tell you about our favorite flop musicals. Before we learn about our first flop, Bobby, what have you been listening to lately? Like in life? Yeah, in life. Well, like what I music have... have you been listening to? I have been on a Heather's binge, actually. Really? Um, 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I saw Heather's. Heather's will be an episode of this show at some point. My friend was uh, in that show. Wait, who's your friend? Yeah, my friend Matt Schatz was in Heather's. Oh, wow. Well, I, I think I saw it three times off Broadway. And I don't know if I enjoyed the production itself, but... I love me a good Lawrence O'Keefe musical and the cast album for that is one of my favorites. And it's also the only thing on my iPhone. So when my car starts, it goes to that or like two other things. So I think I need to add some more music to my phone so that next time you ask me, I'm not like, I'm still listening to Heather's because that's all that plays in my car. Uh, what have you been listening to? Um, I've been listening to a lot of six. Now, that's the one is it henry the fifth or henry the eighth i'm henry really the eighth henry the eighth all the wives six all the wives of them six of them okay i i know like the, the one song like everybody knows that we used to be six wives that's the only oh one. well that's good i mean that's that's basically the the uh opening number so that's it's, good you know that one no you should actually take a listen to it it's it's really brilliant um show and i it's really empowering the first time i listened to it i cried <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it was so it's very rare that you have an all female musical, right? Right. Especially an all female musical that is a big deal on the West End and on Broadway and isn't an off Broadway show. It's an on Broadway show. And listening to it, it was it's just like this weird. It was like when I watched Wonder Woman and they all come that shot of all of the Valkyries like coming up over the hill on horseback. Like I just bawled my eyes out um, because it, it's not it's not representation that you see often. Um, and right. so it, listening to it the first time I cried because it was this wonderful, empowering thing to listen to these women just be badasses. That's I I am like way behind the curve and I absolutely need to add it. It will go on my phone next time you ask me next episode I'll be like, I listened to six. Yes. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you are here for the very first episode of My Favorite Flop, which is a brand new Broadway podcast. Uh, we hope it's your newest theater obsession. You listen to all the episodes. Uh, but this is a place where we laud the misses. Uh, this podcast will celebrate the forgotten and is going to pose the question to all of you in the simplest term possible. Does it actually deserve the title flop? Our criteria is plain. If a show didn't recoup, it flopped. It, it's simple. Simple. It's simple. So let's get to it. Our first show is, drum roll, brrr, Marilyn, an American fable. Okay. So, so have you heard of this one at all before? Because like, before I tell I mean, you anything. I haven't heard of this particular one. I mean, I know Smash existed and they were trying to make Bombshell an actual Broadway musical. And um, I was personally a part of a... Maryland musical that unfortunately didn't get past Vegas. But yeah, no, I haven't heard of this one specifically. Yeah. When, so, so this came out in 1983? 1983. It's actually one of two Marilyn Monroe musicals to open that year. Uh, what? This is <laughs> This is the one that opened on Broadway. Uh, believe it or not, there's also a completely different Maryland musical that opened that same year in the West End. So it's like Battle of Wild Parties. And this was like the OG wild party battle, but <laughs> I don't think anyone, hardly, hardly anyone remembers either of these. So uh, definitely not as cool as the wild party battle of the Fair enough. 
late 1990s, early 2000s. But um, yeah, there were two that opened the same year. Uh, you, like you said, you were involved in a, in a recent one. Uh, and then probably the one that, that most listeners probably are aware of is Bombshell, uh, the fictional one on the TV show Smash uh, that may be coming to Broadway next year, may or may not. Um, we might talk about it a little bit later on. Uh, but Sweet. yeah, this was the Broadway version of okay. Marilyn. Actually uh, opened on Broadway. It did. Or did for, it not open on Broadway? It actually opened. Oh, okay. Uh, and it played 17 performances. So it almost didn't make it there. It uh, started previews in October of 1983 uh, with a November opening. And it closed in December, very sadly. So wow. Short. Short-lived. Well, I'm interested because, I mean, with the Marilyn musical I was involved in, actually, Norma Jean and Marilyn Monroe were two separate characters. Which is how Marilyn should be done, period. Yeah, I mean, it was fascinating and beautiful to watch because, um, for those who don't know Marilyn's life, I mean, she was she was Norma Jean before she became Marilyn Monroe. Um, and in every piece of history that I've read about it, they were two very different people living within the same woman. Um, right. And so I think that it is fitting to have them as two separate characters. Right. Well, one of my, you know, one of my favorite, I'm going to say it's one of my favorite movies, but I don't remember a lot about it except for this very big detail. I think it was a made for TV movie called Norma Jean and Marilyn. Uh, and Ashley Judd played Norma Jean in it. And um, I just Who remember- played Marilyn? Mina Sorvino. I believe you. Okay. I think I think she plays Marilyn. But after she transforms into Marilyn, Ashley Judd comes as like a vision to her all the time and is like, what what do you think of yourself now? Like, uh, and she's constantly this antagonist to her. And I've always in my head, especially when Smash was airing and there was this whole Ivy versus Karen thing going on. I was like, please go that route with it because there needs to be some conflict to it. I think the idea of a Marilyn Monroe musical actually makes a lot of sense. She is a fascinating historical figure. People worshipped her. I mean, it it goes beyond celebrity. Uh, Even to this day, people worship Marilyn Monroe. So there's definitely like a cult of celebrity around her and her life was traumatizing traumatizing she was also a social activist on top of all of it right which is crazy and the world just painted her as this dumb blonde but again this interior battle between a very different norma jean who wasn't that and this persona she created so she she could become a celebrity in hollywood Uh, to me it makes sense to try to turn it into a musical has a lot of like um uh, the bits and pieces, yeah, bits and pieces. It's a it's a larger than life story. So it's no uh, shock to me that multiple people have tried it over the years, including well. And you know, I think recently. that one of the things that is going to set it up for success or failure is who plays Marilyn, because finding an actress who can embody that—that's tall order, tall order. Even Absolutely. within the movies that they've tried to create about Marilyn, it's. It's difficult. It's a difficult well, role to cast. Well, and that's the whole plot of Smash is like, is it Ivy or is it Karen? Like, who is it going to be? Um, <laughs> because I mean, but, you know, it's funny you brought that up. So you've brought up uh, two things that really hearken to why um, a lot of trouble with this original Broadway production of Marilyn. Uh, there was no antagonist. So they didn't they didn't go the Norma and Marilyn being two people route. Um, they didn't really create any kind of antagonist 
for her. Um, by the end of the show, I think her biggest struggle is uh, she's just unhappy with the scripts that Hollywood's giving her. And um, I, I really like tried to pinpoint, they called it an American fable because the creative team decided to be uh, to go fictional with a lot of it because they said so much of her life, there's so many conflicting stories, nobody mm. knows what's true. So they gave it a happy ending. She doesn't die at the end. Uh, spoiler alert. Um. <laughs> She she does reunite with her young self and they sing a reprise of the opening number and then they walk off into the Hollywood sunset. So maybe she died, but that's not. So it wasn't definitive. Yeah. Well, and then the battle between who would play Marilyn. They did a nationwide search to find an actress to play Marilyn. Uh, in wow. New York City alone, they actually looked at over a thousand actresses uh, to play the role. And they cast an unknown woman uh, named uh, Geraldine uh, Pachelle who did all of the rehearsals. Um, they got to tech in the theater and then they fired her. Whoa! Which I'll tell you about in a second. And then oh, they replaced man, that's her. my nightmare. And then they replaced <laughs> her with Allison Reed. So Geraldine looked kind of like Marilyn. Uh, she was, you know, curvy. Uh, with she Allison Reed? Allison Reed ended up replacing Geraldine 10 days before the first preview and played Marilyn on Broadway. She opened the show. That's so ironic. Uh, she used to be one of my regulars at the coffee shop I worked at. <laughs> Was she really? Yeah. <laughs> so if for anyone who doesn't know, because me and Christina have to keep reminding ourselves to like you don't explain know things. Uh, Allison Reed is Mrs. Darvis in the High School Musical movies, uh, which you probably But she's also Cassie. Cassie in the Chorus Line movie, which I'm obsessed with. Also a Broadway star. And this is one of her famous Broadway roles was playing Marilyn with 10 days of rehearsal, which is insane. But um, wow, she, you've met Allison. She doesn't look like Marilyn Monroe. I mean, I've also met Allison now. In, OK, yeah. <laughs> but you've seen a chorus line the movie. OK, I have when seen a chorus watching... line the movie. No, it, it wouldn't be who I would think of. I mean, she's brilliant. Then um, it would have been fascinating to watch her tackle that role. So they had that whole battle of who would play Marilyn because it was such a, a difficult person to embody you know yeah. uh, how do you how do you how do you do Marilyn like you have to find an actress that's so perfect and um well Alice, it, it, yeah. it's there's so many levels to that woman you know and when depending I don't know the music to this particular one but I know one of the things that was um a huge a huge thing that we battled with in our production that we did in Vegas um and uh, Kelly Jackal, who played Marilyn when I did it, she was brilliant. And what she did was when she was being outward facing Marilyn to the world, and that would be a certain kind of voice and a certain kind of way she would present to herself. And then when she was doing soliloquy songs, it would be almost a different kind of voice okay, um, and a different tonal quality and stuff like that. And it, it was subtle. It wasn't, you know, big, massive differences. But I mean, that... <sighs> Like we've been saying, she's Marilyn was two different people to herself, you know, right. right? And you have to find a way to tackle that within a musical that's two hours, <laughs> which yeah. is difficult. It's difficult. And I don't know if this one got it correct. I mean, they went through so many. So I, in preparation for this episode, watched an entire bootleg of the show uh, I believe sometime after it opened, because it seems to match the final song list. Um, mm. You know, depending on where you look, there are different song lists for this show, because at one point they entered previews with like 32 songs. Holy cow. Uh, and 
over 10 of them were cut by the time they opened. I mean, that oh, just makes sense. Oh. They had something like 10 songwriters on the show at one point because, I mean, this, this show had flop written all over it. It was produced by a couple of unknown producers from Australia uh, who were literally inspired to do it because they were in Times Square. And one of the producers literally looked up at the Winter Garden Theater. Uh, you've been to the Winter Garden, Yeah, right? I've been there, yeah. And, and the Winter Garden's famous because it has that giant billboard mm -hmm. uh, that whatever show playing there gets it. And for the longest time, it was Cats because Cats played there yeah, for, for what, years. 30 years? It was just eyes. But uh, he looked up at the Winter Garden billboard and he's like, just imagine it in red lipstick, Nairland's signature. And that's literally what inspired this. I mean, show. that is a strong image. That is a that is a strong image. And that is uh, was enough for him to raise three million dollars. <laughs> three million. Wow. So in why, 1983 was a lot of money. So we think it, obviously it was considered a flop because it didn't recoup the three million. No, well, um, and it also played 17 performances. Right. So, so how do you recoup in 17 performances? But what other reasons? Like, why do you think it didn't succeed outside well, of they, that? They fired the original actress 10 days before the first preview. It was actually really sad. I was on Broadway World and she reached out right around the time of like smash fever. And she's like, I was the original Marilyn. And she wrote this whole thing. She had uh, put a link in and it was a bunch of interviews that she had done in preparation for the show, wow. including a documentary that one news station was doing about the Broadway show. And then when they fired her, they like brought her in and they're like, so... How, how do you feel being fired from a Broadway show? And there's this producer. So anyways, what happened was apparently they got into the theater for tech rehearsal and uh, someone had sabotaged all of the scenery, which was computerized, like messed no. up the mechanics of it. Yeah. Wait, did someone say the Scottish play in the theater? Like, that's what this sounds like. Either that or someone on the team did shady, shady. Mm. But they go into the tech rehearsal in the theater, the Minskoff Theater on Broadway. The sets, which were computerized, were apparently sabotaged. That's the word that was used, sabotaged, uh, by the original Marilyn herself. And um, the Australian producers, these first-time producers on Broadway, had no money left to fix them. Oh, no. And so they brought in more money. And the new producers decided they didn't want her to play Marilyn because she was an unknown and wasn't a dancer. And they're like, this is 1983. This needs to be a dance show. Marilyn better dance. Hence, Allison Reed replacing her. But not only did they replace Marilyn, that's that's a big like flop indicator right there. They fired the director. Well, like, the director, which do you know who directed this? Because I think he's kind of iconic. Oh, no, he's iconic. Well, then I feel like I should have a good guess, but I really don't. Who was OK, it? I'll give you one hint. OK, Allison did work with him later in her life on a major project that I already mentioned. Oh, um, the guy who directed High School Musical? Yes. Who is also the director of Hocus Pocus? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And I'm blinking Newsies. on his name. Uh, Kenny Ortega. No okay, Kenny Ortega. Kenny Ortega. <laughs> uh, Kenny Ortega was like 33 and was making oh. his Broadway debut directing and choreographing this. And they fired him, too. Um, Heartbreaking. They let him. They let him keep his name in the program, though. So Good. even though he was replaced, uh, he still got credit for it. But poor. I mean, he did all Jared. that work. Yeah, and I'm looking at videos that she shared. Most of his choreography stayed on the show. So not surprising. Kenny Ortega is a fantastic choreographer. I mean, seize the day, newsies. Come on, iconic, it's iconic, and so difficult. I've learned that that choreography, and it is rough. <laughs> so. 
Kenny Ortega was fired. The lead was fired. They brought in like all these songwriters. You know, there were like 10 songwriters, including uh, David Zippel. Oh, Technically man. made his Broadway debut writing a song for the show. Uh, uncredited. Didn't receive any credit for it. And uh, these are all major. Like if if you have people writing songs for the show, but you're not giving them credit and you are firing your director, but you're not announcing who's replacing them. Oh, it's just bad blood, isn't it? I mean, it was kind of destined to run into troubles. And they cut, like I said, 10 songs from the show Mm. after they fired Jerilyn. They cut 45 minutes of dialogue. Christina, in the first five minutes, I can't even. The show opens actually pretty magically. Uh, It opens with young Norma Jean. At a window with her teddy bear. And she sings this very pretty song called A Single Dream, uh, which I'm actually shocked more people don't sing. It's reprised a couple times in the show. So it's not just for little girls like adult Marilyn sings it. But Mm. it's actually beautiful 1980s pop musical theater. It's it's really sweet, actually. You're going to listen to it after this. And you're probably going to try to put it in your book. Um, But you know me so well. She opens with this and then. I wish I was making this up because I, I don't say this to poke fun. I'm just reporting what actually happens in the show. Three people in sequence, three actors in sequence come out as like a doo-wop group and they're called Destiny. And these three actors called Destiny kind of narrate the entire musical. Okay. And so Marilyn is following her Destiny throughout the musical. So they come on and little Marilyn becomes Norma Jean but Norma Jean is just basically Marilyn with brown hair and not fancy dresses because she already has the whole like accent and get up. So it doesn't make any sense. So uh, Allison sing- Reed, the actress, is playing both Norma and Marilyn. Yes. Okay. At, at this point in the musical, little girl goes away. Allison Reed comes on with brown hair, but it's talking like Marilyn Monroe, sings some like doo thing with her first husband at like a soda shop counter right hot dog stand might be a hot dog stand I'm trying to remember i had what it was and then pretty soon uh, i don't know within five minutes like she basically becomes marilyn monroe right away and there's no like struggle about becoming marilyn monroe she gets brought into to the movie studio mm-hmm. office which nobody has names because they didn't get licensing to use any other celebrity figures in the musical so it's like studio head or agent so did they just fictionalize everything like is none of it real stories no no they don't mention any of the movies by name any of the films she did it's so she goes into the office and and someone's bringing her i think it might be her first husband it was really confusing but um the the film studio head is basically like like who are you and she's like whoever you want me to be and she's already doing the maryland spiel and they're like, well, her nose sucks. Her hair sucks. This and that. She's like, then change it. There's no struggle whatsoever. There's no song to reflect on the fact that she's changing. It's like the scene changes and now she's blonde. There's no Ta-da. I want song. There's no. No, it's so bizarre because just all of a sudden she's Marilyn. You're like, cool. All right. So structurally, they didn't really set themselves up well, did they? No. Like if you were writing a Marilyn musical and you've been in one, like if you were if you were going to start working on the project, where is the one moment that you would put a song when she transforms yeah. into Marilyn? Like, I mean, we is... had we had like a whole transition thing that happened there uh, where okay. Norma Jean sings the I want song. I want to be a movie star. I want to be all these things. And then right. there's this transformation that happens, and the other actress, Kelly Jackal, comes out as Marilyn Monroe. 
Um, See, that sounds And magical. then it's about her struggle with her first husband. Uh, well, not husband, boyfriend from home. And, um, and then going from there and then learning and you meet the different people. Um, I played Jane Russell. Not that it matters, but... Um, And so she meets Jane Russell and you get to see that iconic moment in front of the Chinese theater. And then, you know, and so you see her struggle with each of these major people in her life. Uh, And you get to watch her story grow from there all the way to the end when she's in her final moments. And she actually goes back and calls her first love and shows her regret for letting him go. And it was this whole beautiful moment. And then... She dies on stage. Norma Jean comes out and takes her hand and walks her off stage. And they have a beautiful duet at the end of this show. Um, you know, and yeah, it, not, they find a way to like leave it on a happy note. But it, none of that happened in Marilyn, an American fable. Oh, that's too bad. She just kind of becomes Marilyn. And then Joe DiMaggio's in it. Scott Bakula from Quantum Leap. Mr. Quantum Leap himself oh. is Joe DiMaggio. So that's a big deal. That's fun. He's good. Allison and him are actually wonderful. And Allison got really great reviews. She doesn't look like Marilyn, but she has she has the voice down. She's an incredible actress. She dances her pants off like they, I mean, they did make it dancey for her. She's Cassie. So, yeah, I mean, which is uh, funny because Marilyn is not a dancer. <laughs> I, I mean, which is why they didn't cast a dancer to begin with. But uh, whatever. Just I there this video, which I'm going to find a way to post on social media of this producer being like, yeah, well, we wanted her to dance. Geraldine couldn't dance. So well, was girl. there That's anything redeemable about it? Like, was there anything uh, the, memorable? I, songs yeah so the music's not bad by any means the music that ended up in the show is not bad a single dream is a fantastic song either for a little girl to sing at the beginning or an adult to sing one of the reprises Uh, it ends the show it's beautiful Hmm. that's a great show uh the song that david zippel wrote called cold hard cash is their uh diamonds are a girl's best friend kind of moment Hmm. so it's all the men in, in tuxedos but she's not wearing the pink dress she's wearing the famous red sequin dress Okay, I think yeah. from the same film, but yeah. different scene. That's a really great number. Allison performs it fantastically. Allison was wonderful. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, the most famous song from Marilyn that's still sung today by every musical theater tenor that's ever existed is this song called You Are So Beyond, which um, well, I remember being huge at AMDA when I... Did anyone sing that in your class? I don't think so. If they okay, did, it I wasn't memorable. Well... <laughs> This song is quite memorable, so you would remember it. I'm sure I would. Uh, It was one of um, Michael, rest in peace, uh, his favorite um, songs to assign young, attractive tenors uh, to perform in class. But uh, it's crazy because the song doesn't even need to be in Marilyn. There is this weird side plot where there are two, like, teenagers who are obsessed with Marilyn Monroe that, like, write her fan letters, and then they break into her um, trailer at some point on the movie studio lot, And the girl runs off and she's like trying on Marilyn's clothes. And the guy who's like, I think they're boyfriend and girlfriend. um, They, they, he's like at her perfume, like her makeup counter. And he like sprays her perfume and he sings the song, You Are So Beyond. And uh, it has this magical key change in the middle. I had read this online. People said that it literally stopped the show. I'm not even joking, Christina. 
once he hits the high note in the middle of the key change, the song's not over, you can hear the audience cheering for him. And uh, then at the end of the song, there's a huge ovation. Um, you can't see the audience, but according to what I've read online, he got a standing ovation like at the beginning of Act Two for the song that literally has nothing to do with the show. But it kind of does, I guess, because it represents that cult of personality around her. So I guess yeah, maybe I mean, it represents... it's unfortunate that it's not Marilyn who's stopping the show if the show is about her. But I mean, there are so many right. songs from shows that aren't about the main character, but right. are showstoppers, right? Yeah. So that was huge. That's still done. Uh, I know Jay Armstrong Johnson um, performs it all the time. Uh, there's several videos of him doing it on the internet, which... I'll also be sharing on our website. Yeah, but that song was originally sung by Willie Falk, who was Tony nominated for playing Chris in Miss Saigon years later. So amazing. That was, so that was a big deal. I mean, rumor has it that Sugar, uh, which was a Marilyn movie, is right. coming back to Broadway. They're going to try and revive it or they're rewriting it or something. Um, there's been lots of conversations about it, right? Yeah. So that's that's also interesting. So not only do we have all these Maryland musicals, but we also have Some Like It Hot, a.k.a. Sugar the Musical, uh, which is an iconic, you know, Maryland film performance mm -hmm. uh, that was turned into a musical in the 70s uh, by Julie Stein and Bob Merrill. One and of the right, strongest they... books I've ever seen on a musical, by the way. Oh, you've seen it. Where did you see Sugar? I saw it with uh, Musical Theater Guild out here in L.A. And for those of you who aren't familiar, MTG is like Encores in New York. Right. So they right. do staged musicals, uh, staged readings of musicals. Um, right. Uh, so actors still have book in hand and they get a week to rehearse and get up and do it. And um, But yeah, that's where I saw it. And it's that book the book on sugar is one of the funniest books i've ever heard in a musical it's so oh, silly wow. yeah oh that's awesome yeah i mean that and that's not actually something you hear a lot like you don't usually hear like man the book to that musical was <laughs> awesome like, no usually but it really people... was i can't oh, okay. i can't i couldn't even bring up any of the songs if i tried right. i probably wouldn't even recognize them if you played them for me but the book was so funny. Well, that's a shame that they're throwing the book out for this new production. No! Oh. Yeah, no. So it's crazy because it's funny. When we started, when we talked about doing this podcast, Christina, we were like, Sugar, I think Sugar was going to be our first episode. It was. It? We wanted it to be our first episode. Our first episode. And then I was like, wait a second. It didn't flop. It actually that's was so a funny. hit. I always assumed uh, it flopped. Yeah, it was a minor hit. I mean, it's Julie Stein. So when you think of Julie Stein, you don't think of sugar. You think of Gypsy and Funny Girl and, you know, shows that are a little bit more famous than that. But but it, also uh, all have great books. I mean, I mean, he knew how to work with a good book writer. I, Gypsy's book is one of the best. It is. So it is one of the best. It, one of the best. But we were going to do Sugar. Uh, we decided not to. But it's one of those weird ones. It played on Broadway in 1972. Technically was a hit didn't transfer to the West End until 1992. It took 20 years. Wow. And when they did it in the West End, they didn't even call it sugar anymore. They just called it some like it hot. They're like, screw it. We're just I mean, it's the same. Call it the movie. And then they did a tour in the U.S. with Tony Curtis playing a different character. Oh. So Tony from the film yeah. came in and played someone else. 
And they called it not just Some Like It Hot. It was Some Like It Hot, the musical. Because you have to let people know that there's songs in it or something. It's but the so movie's funny a musical to me already, how we do right? that in this country. We, we feel the need, if it's something that's pre-existing, to add the musical to it. Well, I, <laughs> Just yeah. to be my, safe. Just so my you know. Actual, my actual favorite flop, Carrie... I don't think you can even just call it Carrie. It's Carrie the musical. <laughs> you have to say that. <laughs> you have to say it. Uh, right. So Some Like It Hot, they're redoing it. It's a completely brand new production based on the film. So they're not using any of the, the Julie Stein and Bob Merrill uh, songs. And I don't think they're using the book. Uh, it's all brand wow, new. They're and completely rewriting it. Completely rewriting. And you know who's writing the songs, right? No. Oh, it's Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman from, what? which is crazy because they also wrote Bombshell. So they have, I mean, look, there's so, so much Marilyn so, going on. Let me get this straight. They're going to do Bombshell the musical and Some Like It Hot. Which apparently both are happening next year. That's I what I've heard. Right. I mean, who knows? COVID, but. Some Like It Hot technically has canceled their out-of-town engagement because of COVID. They had been scheduled to premiere somewhere else next year and they are officially opening on broadway next fall that is what i read online okay bombshell has no official date or theater yet got it so they're still working that one out they're still working that one but yeah the bombshell thing is going to be interesting because people want a maryland musical but that's not what bombshell is going to be i mean i think the the latest that they've settled on is that it's going to be basically smash the TV series. On stage. On stage. So it's going to be about the creation of Bombshell, which I think makes a lot of sense because so many of the really awesome songs that were on Smash are written for the same moments in Marilyn's life that they don't make a like they don't make a cohesive plot if you use all of them. Right. right. So back to Marilyn, an American fable. Most flops end up getting a revival at some point. Right. That's a generalization. But I would say that's the case. Why do you think they never even tried with that and just started from scratch again? Well, you know, what's really interesting is I looked hard because you're right. Most shows, even shows that totally bomb. Again, my favorite flop, Carrie, had so many illegal productions that were quite famous after the original before the authors finally did an official revival. The only other production of Maryland American Fable I could find, I, I kid you not, was at the Tidewater Dinner Theater in Chesapeake, Virginia in either 1984 or 1985. No wow. one seems to remember what year it happened. <laughs> uh, but that's also all on YouTube, the entire show. And th somehow they got the rights and the script and the score. I have never seen a score for this musical. Uh, just the two songs that I've told people they should sing, You Are So Beyond and A Single Dream. Which is sheet unusual for you. You tend to have all the sheet music all the time. I, I've never seen sheet music to Maryland. Actually, right now on eBay, there are 13 songs, but in two different lots uh, on sale uh, in on eBay at the moment. Oh, wow. But other than that, I've never, I've never physically seen the score to Maryland. And I've never seen the libretto to this. But somehow this dinner theater and... Chesapeake, Virginia did it, but that's it. That's it. Yeah, I, I think there's really great music in it. I mean, that studio head, agent, they call her Hedda, not Hedda Hopper. Can't call her legally Hedda Hopper. Oh, I didn't even mention who played Hedda. Who played Hedda? Mary Testa. <gasps> what? 
Mary Testa. I love Mary just, Testa. No, and it's she, her and the woman who plays Luella. Again, just Luella. Just no, no last names. They come out and they sing throughout the entire show. They sing the song called Gossip, which I don't know if is a good song, but it's magical because of Mary Testa. And I wish the audience could see what I'm about to do, but you're going to see it, Christina. Can't wait. I'll they literally come it. on and they're like, they're like, Gossip. Oh, yes. With maracas. Gossip. Great. Mad, but no, no actual maracas. <laughs> And they're singing in weird soprano voices for no reason. And the oh, audience is man. loving it. They're laughing, laughing their faces off. Well, it's Mary Tessa. That woman can make anything funny. Yeah, I, there's really great music. I think a concert version of Marilyn. And there's po- probably some great cut material. Again, they mm. cut 10 songs before opening night. Right. The songs are not bad. In fact, one of the songwriters, in addition to David Zippel, is a guy. The guy who wrote the theme from Cheers was one of no the songwriters of maryland american fables so i think i think a concert version but otherwise again it didn't make any sense like um her biggest struggle was uh the film studios don't take her serious and then she doesn't die at the end so like what's why are we telling the story yeah so i i i i I can understand why it hasn't been revisited yeah i am shocked that it took so long after 1983 for you know the whole smash thing to come about uh, the maryland musical you were involved in uh, because she is a fascinating topic for a musical completely i I mean there's so much conflict and drama to work with there's so much material or even a play. Like, I think of one of the, my favorite things I ever saw in New York was End of the Rainbow. Did you ever get to see that when it came to Los Angeles? No, but I know what it is. I mean, they made a movie with Renee Zellweger right. based on it, but the play was so much better. Uh, you know, they just, they did this play. And then at the end, she gave a Judy Garland concert. Like something like that with Marilyn's life would also just be fascinating. Uh, it's such an, a larger than life story. Mm. I'm shocked it hasn't been done successfully yet. Yeah, Honestly. it's it it is it's it's one of those things, and it's also interesting that we always seem to start from scratch. And it's not just with Marilyn specifically. There are there there's other material that, as a musical theater society, we've tried to keep finding a way to tell the story within a musical setting. But starting well, like some like it from, hot what. Like some like it hot. They're just throwing everything out. I mean, you love this book. You say it's one of the best books. It's so and funny. It is so funny. That's too bad because really it was, <laughs> it was, it was very much like watching the film, but the way it was written allowed for the actors to put their own spin on it. Right. Right. So it didn't feel like you were trying to mimic the film. It felt like they were being themselves and in these characters and being silly and um, right that's that's magic right there right where you're able to evoke you're able to evoke the um reminiscence of the film without feeling like people are trying to do the film it's one of the things that legally blonde really tapped into and made it so successful yeah i well i think we might actually get a chance to do legally blonde on this podcast sometime but i'm excited to talk about it because I think Legally Blonde is absolutely one of those ones based on a film that gets so much right. Yeah. I I, I I was lucky enough to do it once regionally, and um, I thought I was going to hate doing it. And it wasn't until I was in it that I was like, oh, my gosh, this show is brilliant. 
and I was like, oh, I get it. I get why it was it was so popular and why it has this wonderful following behind it um, and why people love it so much. Um, but yeah, it is interesting how as a society we we tend to <laughs> try and always start from scratch. Right. Well, yeah, I think and I think that's an interesting segue because if Marilyn had been done in more recent times, mm. uh, again, I, I don't think that you mean Marilyn would... American Fable. Marilyn, the American fable, an American fable. It, to me, it sounds like the FIFO movie, an American tale, <laughs> Marilyn. Um, but I think if it was done in more modern times, you know, with the Internet and things like that, I don't know if the show itself would get done a lot after the after its Broadway, you know, opening and closing. But I do think some of the songs would be more popular because, mm. uh, again, the score is, is I think, very good. And um, even if you read some of the snarky reviews, because the reviewers in the 80s were pretty harsh. Uh, Frank Rich at the New York Times, he kind of ripped it to shreds, but he does praise Alison Reed. Uh, I think he praises at least one of the songs in the show. <laughs> um, but uh, there's really great material in it, and I think that more people would sing from it uh, if it was something that was done at a time where information could spread. Uh, right. This was you know, done in the early 80s. I'm shocked I was able to watch a video of it. Yeah. Uh, you so know, was there the music disjointed audio. because it was written by so many different composers? Uh, no, I just think it missed the point in some cases. Oh, okay. Like they're, they're at the end, the big 11 o'clock number, I wish I was making this up, uh, was what's the famous Marilyn movie? You would know because you were in the musical uh, where she gets her like toe stuck in the bathtub and she has to call a plumber. Is we didn't talk about seven, that one. I'm not sure. Seven Year Itch, maybe? Oh, yeah. Seven Year Itch. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Well, that happens in the musical, but then it's a giant musical number called Miss Bubbles. I wish I was making this up. And there's a bunch of, I think they're shirtless men in pink overalls who come out and do a kick line as she's like suspended over the do. stage in a bathtub. Of course they do. And then like, then there's like one more song and the show ends. And that's like the climactic Miss Bubbles was this number. So I don't know if every song would become iconic from this, uh, but it wasn't a bad song either. So it's like, yeah. you know, it was kind of crazy to watch this. Like, <laughs> what is happening? But also, like, it wasn't bad. Like, there are some shows that play, you know, 17 performances on Broadway and don't have great scores. I don't think this was one of them. I think that there's actually some wonderful things that have sadly been lost to time because right. uh, yeah. just the show just kind of died out after after that dinner theater production <laughs> in 1985. So do you think that if it had managed to run a little bit longer, would they have been able to save it? Or was this just a lost cause from the beginning? I think it was a lost cause because they really embraced, like you read interviews from before it opened when the press was being nice to the team. Sure. Uh, and they really drove home. This is a fable. Like they bring up one of the excuses they give about why it's so fictionalized is they say, oh, well, there are 10 photographs of Marilyn in 10 different dresses and they're all subtitled Marilyn on her wedding day like which one is real and they're like with so much questionability about her life you know and people are we, everyone loves a good conspiracy I mean we mm -hmm. just went through it we just went through a season of conspiracy <laughs> theories in this world uh you know there are people who think that Marilyn Monroe never died you know that's a thing really and John F Kennedy crazy crazy I feel like just, I'm listening to Anastasia 
crazy. She's she's <laughs> off living with Elvis. I would pay to see that musical. Like <laughs> the two uh, of them living together. <laughs> just ha- hashtag BFF. Her and Elvis. I feel like they would be really good friends. I'm sure uh, they would be. No, but th- there was no conflict. You know, I don't want to get too much into the other Marilyn from 1983 because I do think we'll do that as an episode one day. But one thing that I thought was pretty genius about it, I'm going to give away now, is that they created a character. It wasn't Norma Jean to be her, you know, antagonist. They created a character called the camera and the camera was a man and the man commented never part of the story, always an observer. Uh, and it was basically played. It was her only real lover in life was the camera. All of these men she never was able to connect with. The only person she ever was able to connect with was this camera who was this antagonistic force against her. And a lot of what I've read, people compare it to the relationship between Ava and Che in Evita. Oh, in fact, that okay. London production of Marilyn, people say it was a lot like Evita. And so this idea of creating that, but at least you have conflict. Because that's the thing is, is, is so much happened to Marilyn, but what, what is the conflict? You can't really make it the husband's like, uh, no, I think it's uh, that internal struggle or that struggle between, I, I like the idea of her, the antagonist being the camera because it, it really was something she struggled with. It's she's, she wanted to be famous. She wanted that life. But then at the same time, she was so fragile as a person that it was really difficult for her to find a way to relate to the world and be right. genuine. Well, and so I, yeah, I think the camera thing is is super fascinating. I can't wait for our eventual episode talking about the other Marilyn. Uh, but I think talking about your Marilyn, I think the whole idea of Norma Jean being a character that exists throughout the piece is also fascinating as well. I think it's a valid theatrical device. Yeah. And, uh, it definitely yeah. set up her internal struggle, but also answered the questions of why she kept going. Right. Which was really interesting. And like one of the things that we touched upon in our in our production is that her mom was placed in a mental illness facility. Um, right. And that the likelihood is, is that she was actually never properly diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Oh, wow. So we kind of played into that a little bit. The writers played into that side of her and what that would have been, especially with her drug abuse and alcohol abuse and how that would inflame a misdiagnosis like that. Right. She really did. She just wanted... She wanted to be a movie star and she wanted to be good. She wanted to be seen as someone who was good at what she did by her peers. Absolutely. Well, and she constantly was trying to get involved. in. So I, I guess the musical gets that Marilyn and American Fable got that right to some degree is that, you know, she didn't just want to play the sexy bombshell. She didn't just want to, you know, do fluffy Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend musical numbers. She wanted to do serious roles and things like that. You know, women in Hollywood still struggle with that today. Yeah. It's something that that Marilyn fought the good fight way back when. And we're I mean, still doing she it. also was a huge advocate for the American black voice at the time. Oh, my God. Well, yes, her best. Well, her, one of her best friends with, was Ella Fitzgerald, right? Yeah, she's the reason that Ella got heard and seen. Was oh, my gosh. Yeah, I remember hearing a story uh, from a fellow tour guide in New York uh, because 
I hashtag worked as a tour guide in New York City for a long time. Uh, not important to this podcast, but whatever. Yeah, a famous story about how uh, I think Ella was performing on the bill one night, or maybe they both were performing. I don't know the exact details. Oh, of it, we actually did this story in our musical. Oh, did Ella you? was well, a character in our musical. So okay. what happened was at the Copacabana, yes. oh my gosh. they wanted to hire um, Marilyn to be a headliner. And she was like, but I'm not really a singer. You should get singers in here. So the, the head of the Copacabana was listing different people. And she was like, well, what about Ella Fitzgerald? And he was like, well, we can't we can't make her a headliner because she's black. As she said, well, either you make her a headliner or I don't sit at the front row table every night. And she used her visibility and the reason people would go to the Copacabana because she they knew she was going to be there. Right. And she used that visibility to benefit Ella to make sure they headlined her. Which is insane because when Ella performed there, I'm just going to point this out to people, African-Americans weren't allowed to attend shows right. at the Copacabana. That's right. So even even though Ella finally got to perform on stage thanks to Marilyn, uh, if she wanted to go on her off night and see a show at the Copa, would not have been allowed inside the building, which is insane. Ridiculous. Okay. So your Marilyn happened. Like... It opened in Vegas. I purposely didn't look a lot into this because I wanted you to kind of tell your story. But you have been involved in a high profile production that ended up opening at the Paris Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas back in 2018. And you were with the project, I think, for a while, right? Um, I did the I didn't do the first presentation of it, which was I want to say 2017 here in L.A., actually. Um, at the Alex Theater. But then they decided to add Jane Russell to this next incarnation. And, and um, Tegan Summers asked me to come do it. And so I did. I went out to Vegas twice to do presentations of the show and got to play Jane, which was a joy because I love her. <laughs> and so get to, getting to portray her, even if it was just short-lived and um, because she's she she's kind of like a guest star, so to speak, in the musical um, was an absolute joy. And, and the cast on that show was incredible. The music uh, was written by Gregory Neighbors and Tegan Summers. Um, and Gregory Neighbors, for those of you who don't know, is an amazing musician, uh, just incredible. And, and the work he did on that show was amazing. And it was a lot of fun. And we're and sorry. Oh, I was just going to say he's weirdly a viral like video star from the videos he made with was his husband, his partner way back when. Do you remember? I those? actually don't. I, I only really know him because he's been my accompanist for some cabarets around town and, and working with him on Maryland. Oh, you, so I don't know about his viral oh, stardom, se- stardom, but I'm not really surprised. Oh, well, I'm going to I'm going to send you I'm going to send you. After the I cannot episode. wait. Okay, continue. Sorry. Um, Viral internet stuff. But yeah, it was great. And I, I got to do uh, those two workshops of it. Um, and then I ended up booking Jersey Boys. So I I didn't go with it when it officially opened in Vegas. Um, and they, they ended up cutting Jane anyways, because they're just need with any development of a musical, you have to cut stuff, right? We were just discussing this. They had 32 songs and they cut 10 of them. Um, and that was kind of, they had so much great material and they kind of had to just cut back on which parts of Marilyn's story you were going to tell, right? Because there's so much to dig into and you kind of have to streamline what you're going to do. So um, 
after I already had decided to leave, I think they tried to keep Jane in and then ended up cutting her out uh, for time, probably would be my guess. I'm not officially sure on that. Um, but yeah, it it did its previews and I don't remember exactly if it opened or not, but it, to my knowledge, it was just one of those things where, especially in today's day and age, money comes into play so hard, right? Right. And unfortunately, I think that for whatever reason, there was just struggle to make sure that everything was in place to be able to continue and, you know... Vegas is a tough town, just like Broadway is a tough town, um, or I should say New York is a tough town. Um, and if if it's not an, an you know, initial hit, you can really just flame out because of monetary reasons. Um, I have no doubt that the team is probably still trying to bring it to life. I know that there, there was talks of trying to do it at Ogunquit in Maine, which would be really incredible. Um, and I hope one day that the work gets seen because it was good. It was good work, really, really good work. And the cast was incredible. Um, so I, I would love to see see them succeed, you know? No, absolutely. When I think that that is kind of a, a thing that I want to pinpoint for this podcast in general, you know, even a, even even if a show doesn't at face value have a ton of redeeming qualities you know, when you get into this world, be it Broadway, be it Vegas, because Vegas is 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 basically the Broadway of the desert. I mean, <laughs> with I don't know. Uh, anyway, Broadway of the desert. I'm going with it. It costs so much money to produce this stuff. And so uh, there are so many filters of what can even get to that point to begin with. Uh, that It's one of those things in college when I was when I was just this little little guy being like, I love Carrie the musical before I knew all the things. <laughs> Uh, people used to give me so much for it, you know, like, oh, that's a bad show. Oh, it's so awful. Oh, biggest flop on Broadway. I'm like, do you even know it? And most people didn't. They're just reputation. Oh, it wasn't a hit. It must be bad, you know, and that's not the case. There's so much that goes into producing a show. And there are so many reasons why a show might not take off. But to get at that level where you're writing Broadway shows, you're producing Broadway shows, uh, not everybody gets to do that. So there's got to be something, no. something redeeming. Someone had to do something right to say, here's $3 million. Here's X. You know what I mean? And so exactly as you listen to this episode and hopefully listen to future episodes, if there's something that interests you, you go and you uh, take a listen, take a take a dive on your own, uh, you know, use what we what we provide you these clues uh, as a basis for you to start doing your own research and maybe discover some other cool stuff because, uh, you know, the longer the time goes by, uh, stuff like this really does get forgotten. So we have to keep it alive. And there's so much great treasures. I don't know. I love there are so finding many treasures. the treasures and being like, here, don't die. That's it. That's our show. Woohoo! We did it. Okay, so if you enjoyed this, and we totally hope that you did, uh, you can find us pretty much anywhere on the internet, right? Yes. Just search at my favorite flop on the Book of Face, Insta, the Tweetyverse, the Tickety Talks. We, we also have a website. website. Too. Oh. Yes, www.myfavoriteflop.com. 
And we'll be back in two weeks with our next episode. So in the meantime, make sure to head to our website and check out our social feeds for all sorts of fun stuff that we're going to be posting about Marilyn, an American fable, uh, but also uh, to check for clues as to what musical we're going to be talking about in our next episode. And to start you off, here's clue number one. Luke Evans of Beauty and the Beast fame, the new movie, not the old one, uh, starred in the West End production of this 2003 Broadway flop. Hmm. That's a tough one. It is a tough one. I wonder if anyone's going to be able to guess it. Well, if you've already figured it out, please head to our social channels and let us know. Otherwise, stay tuned for more clues because we're going to post all sorts of fun stuff to help you guess before we officially announce it. All right, so stay safe out there. Keep your distance. Remember, this too shall pass. And be like Phantom, wear a mask. Bye, Bye everybody. everybody.